Our scripture reading this morning is from 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 10. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to be put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The word of the Lord. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you all this morning. When I add my welcome to that of Diana Calvin's this morning, my name is Mike Trabe, and I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity Fellowship Church. And I want to thank those of you who have joined us. If you're a guest, I want to add my welcome there. And also uh, thanks to all of those who are serving, those in the sound booth, the music team, and uh, ushers, greeters, Many seen and unseen members of the body, uh, without whose efforts we could not gather to worship here this Sunday. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment in prayer? Well, Father, we just give you great thanks for the opportunity to gather in this sanctuary together and to worship you. We give you thanksgiving for your son Christ and the way that he's made for us to be in right relationship with you. So would you quiet our hearts and minds this morning and give us eyes to see and ears to hear what it is that you have for us in this message. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, my family and I recently returned from a week-long trip to the Pacific Northwest. And our journey there was quick. Our purpose And our time there was temporary. But in this temporary journey, we were reunited with family and friends. People that we hadn't seen, for me in some cases, 30 plus years. Some of their family members who I'd never met. And in one small sense, in that way, it had, I think, a lot of the characteristics of what we're going to experience between our physical death in our bodily resurrection. At one point in this journey, we found ourselves um, having to move into some temporary lodging. It was unexpected. We found this lodging on a military installation. The surroundings were familiar. The environment was familiar, but we were there without our belongings. No toiletries, only the clothing on our back. But we had one another. We had a safe place to live. We had a home, if you will, 
It was a house with many rooms, of all things, that we were allowed to stay in. But it wasn't our home. It was safe and somewhat familiar. But it wasn't our ultimate destination. Now, I'm not, by any stretch of the imagination, saying that our trip was heavenly. There are many members of my family who would say that at times it was purely the opposite. But it does offer us an image that illustrates the theology of heaven that's, that's revealed in scriptures but is often misunderstood or overlooked. So allow me to explain. Well, we're continuing in our series on heaven this morning. And as we progress through our series, we've been proclaiming what the scriptures reveal about heaven as our final, ultimate post-resurrection destination, a new heaven and a new earth which will inhabit in resurrected and glorified bodies in the presence of God for an eternity. <clears throat> and throughout the scriptures, we're invited to see, as we've, we've talked about, this correspondence of, of heaven and earth, that the physical realm is a central part of God's plan for our eternity. Heaven is a promise. It's a promise that's guaranteed to us by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as we've been talking about, heaven is a physical place. This new heaven and earth is paradise restored. It's the physical human realm where heaven and earth will be joined for eternity. And where we will dwell with Christ and all of those who have been redeemed by his blood. It's the place, as we heard last week in Pastor Mike's, the other Pastor Mike, in his sermon, where we will worship, where we will work, where we will rule, and we will rest all in resurrected and glorified physical bodies and in the presence of the triune God. <clears throat> what might be missed, however, as we read the scriptures and we try to process something that, that is not entirely familiar to us, what might be missed is that until this new and ultimate and eternal heaven is established, there is a present heaven. It is also a created in finite place, but it is distinctly separate from the earth. It's where God himself has chosen to dwell until such a time as heaven and earth are reunited in their ultimate restoration in God's eternal kingdom. <clears throat> this present heaven, this intermediate heaven, theologian, theologians refer to this as an intermediate state, it's the realm of God and angels. It's that heavenly place that we think of as up there. It's the place where the risen and ascended Christ is bodily present right now, seated at the right hand of God. And it's the place where we all go when we die and where we will exist temporarily until the resurrection, until we're reunited with our resurrected bodies. Now, various scriptures give us glimpses into this present 
yet temporary heavenly realm. The psalmist tells us that it's a place where God sits enthroned and and looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. To the Corinthian church, the Apostle Paul speaks of a time when he was caught up to what he calls the third heaven. Now, for ancient Hebrews, heaven was a, a term that encompassed both the air and the space between heaven and earth, as well as the unseen dwelling place of God and angels. So in the Hebrew construct, you've got to think of heaven as, as both the air of our atmosphere, the exo-atmospheric place that we call outer space, but also this unseen other dimension of the heavens where God and the angels live. That's the third heaven that Paul speaks about in the third person there in 2 Corinthians. In this place, he says he heard words that he was not permitted to reveal. But he reveals it as a better place. In that same text, he refers to it as paradise. And he tells the Philippian church that to be in heaven with Christ is very much better. As we heard in verse 8 of our text this morning, Paul says, we should prefer to be absent from the body and at home from the Lord. This, This third heaven, this present heaven is a better place, but it is not the ultimate heaven of the new heaven and earth where we will spend eternity. Now, the Apostle John was given a revelation. He had numerous glimpses of heavenly activities. It's an often difficult text to read and understand. There's some fantastic images, but he can tell us some things that will give us somewhat of an imagination for what it will be like. In Revelation 7, he tells us that angels and elders and and four fantastic creatures are all lying prostrate before the throne of God and worshiping God. In Revelation 11, he sees the temple of God in heaven. He sees the Ark of the Covenant in the temple and he observes lightning and he hears thunder and he Earthquakes and large hail. It's a very physical place. Revelation 21 in the first two verses reveal heaven as the place where the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city, where it currently exists. And out of the heavens we read this new Jerusalem, this heavenly city will come down and be joined to earth and form our eternal dwelling place. Well, Jesus has a lot to say about this heaven as well. He tells us it's, it's God's dwelling place and that we will live there with God and Jesus. He tells the disciples in my house, in my father's house, there are many rooms. I go there to prepare a place for you. To the thief on the cross, Being crucified next to him, Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. This present heaven, friends, is a place. It's a paradise. It's a place where we'll find ourselves with God. But Jesus also has some other glimpses to give to us about this present heaven. In teaching the parable of the rich man and Lazarus that we see in Luke's 
gospel. Jesus presents a picture of the present heaven as a place where both the redeemed and the lost dwell. Both conscious of their past lives. Both conscious of their present circumstances and one another. Yet separated as they await the resurrection and the final judgment. You see, as we enter into the present heaven, as all who die enter into this intermediate state, we all face a first judgment, a judgment of faith. Those who have placed their trust in Christ enter into a place of immense joy. And those who have not find themselves separated from God and the redeemed, yet conscious of this. It's a, it's a place of comfort and joy for the redeemed in a place of isolation and regret for those who have not accepted God's gracious gift of redemption in Christ. You see, heaven is both a promised reality and a finite place. Both the present heaven and the eternal heaven. Anglican Bishop N.T. Wright describes it this way. I don't know if someone up in the sound booth can help me get to that slide. I'm a bit challenged here this morning. He says, heaven is not a place in the sky, but rather God's dimension of what we think of as ordinary reality. Heaven is not a place in our space-time continuum, but a different sphere of reality that overlaps and interlocks with our sphere in numerous and mysterious ways. It's as though there were a great invisible curtain hanging across a room, disguising another space that can be integrated with our space. One day, the curtain will be pulled back. The two spaces or spheres will be joined forever And Jesus himself will be the central figure. You see, this present heaven is real. It's a place. It's a created finite place. Yet, it's undisclosed to you and I in our more lives. While God has revealed it at different times as we read in the scriptures to different people to offer us a glimpse... It's the place where all will experience a a transitional or temporary period in between our life on earth and the future resurrection. A resurrection to eternal life on the new earth for those who've placed their trust in the work of Christ. Or a resurrection to judgment and everlasting destruction for those who have not. I'll come back to that last disturbing part a little bit later. But allow me to summarize what I've been trying to portray to you this way. In the present heaven, we'll be temporarily up there. In this other dimension, in the presence of the Lord, having shed our earthly body. Will we be in some form of bodily state? It's difficult to tell with certainty from the scriptures. But there's a lot of indications that we'll have some sort of bodily form. But we'll be in this place. Having shed our earthly tents in the presence of the Lord. 
But in the future, eternal heaven will be down here. Eternally down here on a redeemed and restored heaven and earth where we'll live eternally in the presence of Lord in our resurrected, reconstituted, and glorified bodies. So what will the redeemed be doing in this temporary present heaven as we inhabit this intermediate state between physical death and resurrection? And what are the implications for our present lives? Well, for sure, the redeemed in Christ will experience great joy and relief from our present suffering. We'll be with Christ We'll be reunited with family and friends and we'll enjoy great adventures in this present heaven to be sure. What those adventures may specifically be, the scriptures don't say. But the scriptures do reveal four things to help us grow our imagination for the mystery and glory of what our heavenly existence will be. We'll be worshiping anticipating, watching, and praying. And I want to address each of those four briefly. Now, as we heard last week, as we sang this morning, we know that worship is foundational to what we do as Christians. The true worship of God is is central to who we are as followers of Christ. To worship something is to think and to act in a manner that shows honor and worth to the thing that we're worshiping. The true worship of God, though, is essentially internal. It's a matter of our heart and our spirit that is rooted in the knowledge of the risen Christ and and obedience to all that he has commanded. In our intermediate state, in the presence of Christ and the redeemed, the The goal of our earthly discipleship, which is this divine union with God, becomes fully realized. No longer encumbered by the fallenness of our nature, the sinfulness of our flesh, the corruption of the world will experience divine union with God in a way that we could only scarcely imagine in this life. We'll worship God in a pureness of heart. In mind. In this temporary heaven, as we will, in this eternal heaven and earth, we'll, we'll worship in this purest sense imaginable, in, in reverential response to the all encompassing magnificence of God. It's, it's what we heard in the psalm this morning. All of creation. We'll sing out to God in praise. It's just a purity of worship that you and I have only touched on. But as we worship, we'll, we'll do so in anticipation. Anticipation of the, of the promised return of Christ and the consummation of his kingdom on earth and the, the joining of heaven and earth for eternity. We'll be anticipating these things. You see, our our hope in the resurrection continues in this present heaven. 
The dead in Christ, though in the presence of God, are, are with us, waiting for the day when Christ returns and God fulfills his promise to make all things new again. As I was sharing the things that I was preparing for this message with my wife, and I mentioned the word waiting as instead of anticipation, she said, man, that just really sounds boring. It sounds terrible. Waiting doesn't conjure up exciting images. There's a far side comic that uh, shows a man sitting on a cloud, and he says, man, I wish I'd brought a magazine. Our experience in the present heaven will not be this. It's not a cosmic, glorified experience at the Department of Motor Vehicles where everybody's sitting around really excited to be waiting all day for their number to be called to have a horrible photo taken of them. You see, rather than monotonous waiting in this present heaven, it will, it will be an eager and joyful anticipation that we experience in the presence of Christ and with all of those who are dead in Christ. I can't even, I don't have the imagination for how wonderful that will be. But I'm certain it will be. But I want to point out here that in all of these things, there are points of intersection with our present life. Both our present circumstances And the first temporary heaven, whether our life now or in the present heaven, we're all eagerly awaiting and anticipating the resurrection. God's fulfillment, rather, of his promise to make all things new again. To experience life, this image of the 23rd Psalm. A life without lack as Dallas Willard calls it. But yet in our anticipation, we're also aware of what is happening on earth. We'll be watching. We'll be worshiping and anticipating, but we'll also be watching. In Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 to 11, the Apostle John relays this imagery of the souls of those martyred for their testimony of the Lord Crying out to God, how long, Lord? They're conscious of themselves. They're conscious of God. They're conscious of those around them and the situation on earth. They remember what terrible thing they endured that delivered them to heaven. Their martyrdom, that they were murdered for their faith. They're concerned about justice. And they have the ability to express themselves to God. And they have a physical form that John can see. And so we can take from this, friends, that in the present heaven, that it coexists with and it watches over an earth under sin and the curse and suffering. But we also see that in this present heaven that we we have access to God. And access to God in a way that is so much more intimate than anything we've experienced in this life through the Spirit. We'll see Him face to face. 
And those in the present heaven communicate with God. They, they pray, how long, Lord? They seek God's face with a desire for instruction and wisdom. Those in the present heaven, they don't know everything. They still turn to God for his wisdom and instruction. They pray to God. These same martyrs that John sees in heaven are praying for judgment on those who continue to persecute others on the earth for their faith. They are seeing and interceding for and praying for the saints on the earth. And you and I, brothers and sisters, if we pass from this life before the Lord returns, we'll be doing the same. In the present heaven, in the presence of God, in some form of embodiment, we will continue to enjoy a relationship with God, ourself and others, and we will worship, and we will anticipate, and we will watch, and we will pray. Well, allow me just to shift focus a bit here for a moment. Undoubtedly, if you're a Texan, you're familiar with Davy Crockett's famously angry statement, you may all go to hell, and I will go to Texas. Well, as one who's not native to Texas, I'm not so sure he was implying that those were different locations. But I want to touch on hell for just a moment, uh, albeit from a safe distance. All human beings, when their mortal earthly life comes to an end, will find themselves translated into this present heaven that we've been talking about this morning. To experience either paradise or hell. We see this in this parable of the rich man and Lazarus. You see, the eternal heaven, the new heaven and earth is not the default destination of all of humankind. No one goes to this new heaven and new earth for eternity automatically. Jesus said there is no one good but God. Paul tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The scriptures are clear that unless our sin problem is resolved, the default destination for humankind is not paradise. It is hell. Now, on the spectrum of the theological views of hell, there are two extremes. You have universalists on one end who argue that all will ultimately go to heaven. And then at the other extreme end, you have what some term infernalists. Universalists hold that the perfect goodness and love of God means that all are ultimately saved. Universalists have a difficult time reconciling how a God who is love, who is perfectly good, perfectly righteous, 
could damn those created in his image to some form of eternal destruction or torment. So they hold it. The perfect goodness and love of God means that all are ultimately saved. There's a Catholic view which includes purgatory, which lacks any biblical support. I won't talk about purgatory. But on the other end of this spectrum... The infernalists hold to a view of of everlasting punishment or destruction for the wicked. The two major historical views being either eternal conscious torment, probably the, the common notion of, you know, standing in a lake of fire, not enjoying yourself for eternity, Or annihilationism, which posits that at at some point the souls of those who are wicked are ultimately snuffed out of of existence, no longer conscious of, of anything. Many popular books today deny hell. It's an uncomfortable or unpopular topic. I've been a Christian 17 years. As I hear myself preach this sermon, this is the first sermon I've ever heard on this topic. We tend to ignore it or minimize it. It's unpopular, it's uncomfortable. But the canon of scripture and the apostolic fathers do have something to say about it. They refrain from elaborate descriptions of hell that we find in later literature... But a lot is said about it. Whatever the reality of hell actually is, there is a human capacity that's been demonstrated since the beginning of human history to resist the love of God. We see it from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. We see it all throughout the history of Israel. We see it all throughout our modern history. Humans have the capacity to resist the love of God. While God's will and desire is that all would be saved, he's given us a say in the matter. Which has led many respected theologians to espouse a view some term as self-exile of the soul. From the love of God. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, I willingly believe that the damned are in one sense successful rebels to the end. That the doors of hell are locked on the inside. They certainly do not will even the first preliminary stages of that self-abandonment through which alone the soul can reach any good. They enjoy forever the horrible freedom they have demanded and are therefore self-enslaved, just as the blessed, forever submitting to obedience, become through all eternity more and more free. What's being posited here is that hell does exist and people find themselves in hell Because they've chosen to place themselves there. And in their rebellion and in their hardened hearts, they refuse to submit themselves 
to the gracious love of God who undoubtedly would shower mercy on them if they would only ask. But let's not just take modern theologians' words for it. Let's, more than anyone else in Scripture, Christ himself describes hell as a literal place of utter misery. A place of conscious torment for sins with no hope of relief is how Christ portrays hell in the Scriptures. He repeatedly describes this place as a fiery furnace or outer darkness. A place, he says, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We might be tempted to look at this as as this weeping and gnashing of teeth as a sense of regret or sorrow. I tend to hold to the view that it's this weeping and gnashing of teeth is this rebellious of anger. Rebellious anger. Randy Alcorn points out that, that most Americans assume they're headed for heaven. Yet Jesus paints a different picture. He says in Matthew chapter 7, he says, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Only a few find it. This should give us a great sense of urgency. Not only to examine our own hearts and our own relationship with the risen Christ, but to to have hearts that break for the lost of the world, of our families, of our communities. If you're here this morning and, and you haven't, Place your trust in the words and works of Christ to save you from an eternal, miserable separation from God and others. I am pleading. With all of us to consider the implications. For your own life and for the lives of those around you. If you doubt, then ask God to remove. If you can't see this truth, ask God to remove these blinders. Ask God to reveal himself to you. God's big enough to handle all your questions, all your doubts, all your disappointments, all your lament, your anger. You can find a trusted friend or family member that I'm, there are, Close to 100 people sitting in this church right now who would love to help you walk through what it is that you're wrestling with. And we shouldn't delay in this life or death decision. Our approach should not be wait and see. I'll wait and see. I'm really busy. We can know and we should know where we stand with Christ. Before we die. 
because the scriptures tell us we can die at any time. So whatever imagination you have or develop for both heaven and hell, whatever they may be in reality, we can all hold to this with certainty. Both heaven and hell are promises revealed in the scriptures. They both hinge on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they're both places where embodied souls will exist for eternity. Well, as we conclude this morning, what what are we to do with all of this? This temporary heaven, this present heaven, this intermediate state of either paradise or miserable separation from God? What are the applications for this present life of ours in our bodies at home on this earth? away from the risen Lord. Well, again, I want to remind us that as we continue through this study, that heaven and earth, are they're, they're these corresponding realities. God created the earth to be a reflection of heaven. The Garden of Eden was this place where heaven and earth were joined. The temple in Jerusalem was where heaven and earth met The church of our modern era is meant to be. This New Testament church, all of us believers indwelt with the Spirit. We are the meeting place between heaven and earth for all the world to see. And so our application is to practice being in heaven. To worship. To work. To anticipate to rule, to watch, to rest, and to pray. These are not things that we're waiting for, friends. These are things that God is calling us to do now. In our passage this morning, Paul reminds us, he says that we we have a heavenly home. He says this earthly tent is going to be taken down. Our home is heaven. So we can be confident That we have a future heavenly home that will far surpass, far exceed anything that we could even strive for or dream about in this life. He says in verse 9 that whether we're here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. We please God through our worship. By doing and thinking and saying the things that are pleasing to God, that are the things of God. The all-encompassing, excuse me, the all-encompassing magnificence of God should cause us to worship and, and, and grow in us this desire to please Him. And we're to eagerly anticipate His promised return. He says God himself has prepared us for this. And and as a guarantee, he's given us his Holy Spirit. This, This Spirit is what empowers us to worship. The Spirit is what reminds us that Christ is coming back and to eagerly look forward to and anticipate his return. 
And it's the spirit that enables us to watch, to stay spiritually alert. For we live by believing, Paul says, not seeing. We live by faith. We walk by faith. And to sustain us in it all and to draw closer to God, we pray. Paul says in verse 10, For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. And we will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil that we have done in this earthly body. Just as our life on this earth is our temporary lodging, so will our experience in the present heaven be a temporary stay of sorts while we Enjoy the presence of God. Experience a new dimension of the fullness of life in Christ, in his presence. While awaiting his promised return, while praying for his promised return. And our resurrection and reunification with our glorified bodies. And an eternal existence with God in this renewed world. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Well, Heavenly Father, our, our Father who is in heaven, your name is holy. And Father, I pray that um, we could find comfort in these words this morning, that, that you have created a place for those of us when we pass from this life into this other dimension in your presence, Lord. That is just part of the continued journey toward this new heaven and new earth, which will not be unfamiliar to us, Lord. That you've given us this correspondence between heaven and earth to give us reminders, Lord, of what it is that you promise us. To help us to see, Father, the world around us through heavenly eyes, with heavenly minds, with hearts centered on you. Lives yielded to your spirit. That we would just could continue to walk in your ways and, and be a light to this world. Who longs to find heaven in so many places. But yet, Father, heaven is only with you. And Lord, I pray especially for those who struggle with their faith, those who find the truth of who you are, the work that you've done throughout all of human history, that they struggle with those things, that to believe them, to trust in them. Lord, would you remove the blinders from their hearts? Would you soften hardened, rebellious hearts that refuse to submit all of themselves to you, God? Lord, teach us to surrender all of ourselves to you. 
that we may be transformed into the likeness of your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let us stand.